Uh, my name is Ben Miller, in case we haven't met, and I am the Campus Life Pastor here at LifePoint. Um, this morning, we are continuing, continuing our study of the book of Revelation. You know, I have to say, I'm a big fan of Revelation. Not in this kind of like, I think there's some, some Christians out there, it's like they look at Revelation and think it's like a big decoder ring. Like if I, if I just spin it just right, I can predict the, the end of the world and all these different events. That's not me. I'd like it because I like to look at the imagery. I find it fascinating. I think it's very intriguing. And so I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning and um, have a couple different, different passages to go through with you. Um, but one of the things we've been saying every week and, and something that's super important to see is that, the, is that the revelation is more about present hope than a future calendar. It's more about a present hope than a future calendar. So as much as it is forthtelling, there's a lot that it has to say about right now and in us. And so when we look at this, what do we, what do we see when we see it? Do we see a call to action? Do we see a hope of the future? Or do we want to use it to somehow predict what's going to happen? And I would encourage us to do the former. Before we do, let's, um, let's just open up in a word of prayer. God, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to us this morning. I pray that, God, your word will be a light to us and will guide our path. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a moment in review. So far in the book of Revelation, we've seen, um, we've seen an image of heaven. We've seen, we've seen Jesus in all of his glory with, with fire in his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. We see these letters to the churches of, of what they're supposed to be like. And then last week, Paul walked us through chapter 5, where you know, John's standing in heaven, and as he's standing in heaven, they're saying, who is worthy to open this scroll? And everybody's sad because they can't find anybody who's worthy. And then somebody says, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then John looks to the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he sees a lamb who was slain, not the image he saw in his mind. And this lamb who was slain is Jesus Christ who died for our sins to take away the sins of the world. And a phenomenal vision of what's going on in heaven. And in the midst of all of that, we see that he is definitely worthy. And as he looks at the scroll, the scroll which, you know, we see as this declaration of already what was, what was God's from the very beginning, this declaration of his eternal kingdom established, being established right here on earth. And Jesus is the one who's worthy to do that. So next we're going to see seven, scroll, uh, seven seals. So when you think about these seals, I want you to think of like an ancient document with kings and queens. So what, when they would send a letter, they didn't have envelopes and stamps and things like that. So what they would do is have a scroll, and in their scroll, they would put this seal. They would pour, drip a little bit of wax, and, and they had a ring on their finger, and that ring had a, a royal insignia. And they would press it into the wax, which kind of provided two different things. Number one, it ensured that it was stayed sealed throughout the time that it was being delivered. So it provided security. The secondarily, it also made the, the audience or the reader or the recipient of this mail know that it was directly from the king or the queen or whatever. 
<laughs> and that's how we should look at this scroll. This scroll has seven seals. Now, what's different about these seals is that when these seals are opened, every time they're cracked open, a judgment pops out. So it's a very fascinating series of, of events here in chapter 6. So let's start to walk through them. Let's look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. 6, 1 and 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So out pops this rider and this horse. And so we're going to see these next four seals some people might refer to what's called the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is exactly what they're referring to, this passage of the Bible. So the first horse comes out white, and the rider has a crown, and, a, and, a, and, and he's ready to go to war, right? So this, this most likely represents a concept of global war, of taking away global peace, not just personal peace. This is, you know, in their own homes, the people of these countries might feel fine. But there are a lot of people who will be at war, a lot of countries against country going to war. Let's look at the second one, second horseman here in three and four. So when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So the second seal is a little bit different. Horse is a different color. And this, this one, this particular one, has the power to take away personal peace. So now we're seeing person pitted against person. Now, we can look at this and kind of see in our world today how division is happening personally, whether that's ethnically or economically or whatever it is. Now we're talking about neighbor against neighbor, person against person, family member against family member. There's a personal loss of peace with this judgment. Let's go on to the third horseman in five and six. And so when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So, okay, this is a little bit different now. Now you're seeing something different. So now, instead of like a sword or something royal, this rider has the power in their hands of the scales. So what does this particularly mean? Well, most likely this means an economic problem, a very big economic judgment. So think about going to the grocery store, right? So when you go to the grocery store, you buy produce, you take the produce to the counter and you weigh it, and when you weigh it, it, that's your price, right? So if you were at this moment taking a bag of flour to, to over to, to the counter and you're going to weigh it, a, a sack of flour would cost like 50 bucks. 
A denarius is like a day's wages. So a sack of flour costing so much money would be a massive problem globally. You know, we eat a lot of bread across the world. Now, maybe, you know, if you're gluten intolerant or whatever, you don't eat white bread or wheat bread or whatever. But we're talking about all flour becomes very, very expensive. And no matter what that flour is. But what's interesting here is there's another part of, it, of this that says, don't touch the oil or the wine. Okay, I, I really can't explain that to you except for the fact that the economic collapse happens across all food products except for oil and wine. But let's go on to this fourth horseman. So when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so this fourth horseman has power to kill. And its name, it has a name. The other ones didn't have a name. This one has a name, and its name is Death. And it's almost like Death, this horseman Death, is carrying a big sack behind them and sweeping lives into it. But what's strange about this one in particular is it's got a limit. There's a limit. There's a limit to the other one, too, when we saw that it was limited to not touch the, the wine and the oil. But in this case, the limit of this horseman is one-fourth of the Earth's, Earth's population. So it, doesn't, it gives a few different ways that people could die during this time, but really it's, that's not the point. The point is that the limitation is one-fourth of the people. So, let's go on to the sixth, to the, the fifth seal, I mean. In Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we see a fifth seal. Now, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of souls, the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the, numbers, till the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So this takes a definite, definite tone change, Right? So these first four were against everyone. But this fifth seal isn't actually an action. This fifth seal is a vision. And this vision in particular is a vision of martyrs. And the martyrs are not asking God to have grace on people. They're asking God, avenge us. These are martyrs who had died for the cause of Christ, and there's almost a sense of retribution here. And when I think about this, I think about the retribution. And if you have ever lived out your faith in public and been persecuted for it, you can identify with the feeling that's happening here. You know, um, one time in high school, so I went to public high school, I went to Westville South, not too far from here. 
and I gave a presentation, and in history class, world history class, the teacher said, I want, want everybody to get up and do a presentation on their, their historic hero. So I thought, what better than to do a presentation on Jesus Christ? So I started in on this presentation about Jesus, and audibly in the back of the room, the teacher started laughing. It's very odd. He started laughing at my presentation. And then he started heckling me during this presentation. What do you mean? How could that be? And, and all the while, the re- now the rest of the class is starting to pick up on this and laugh. And this is a very strange event, right? So I got through my presentation, and I sat down, and I felt kind of demolished. But now I look back on this in my life and think, I wonder, I wonder if anybody in that classroom saw what happened and decided to follow Jesus because of it. Stranger things have happened, right? Because at those moments of persecution, they're not about us. It's about the holy name of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we don't realize that the, the angst that the martyrs are feeling in heaven isn't, it's not, it's not a selfish anger. It is a righteous anger. God, avenge us. And we look at the, the persecutions around the world today, and by the way, people who are being martyred for the cause of Christ are at an escalating an alarming rate, year after year. These, this group of people sitting at the throne of God asks for God's avenge, to avenge them. And God says, just wait, hold on. There's a few more like you about to come in. Just wait. So instead of seeing a lot of Judgment here in that fifth seal, what we see is actually retribution. But let's go into the sixth seal in verses 12 to 17. So when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun had become black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. And then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So this sixth seal is a universally difficult one, because now what we see is earthquakes and floods and all kinds of crazy natural disasters, and in the midst of all of this, You have kings and princes and queens and rich people and poor people and everyone going into the caves to hide. And why why point out the the rich people and, and all of that? Because what they're saying is, at that particular moment, none of that matters. doesn't matter how many 
zeros you have behind your paycheck? Universally, they all stood there and cried out, what? God, let the rocks fall on me so that this can all be over. Who can save us from the wrath of the Lamb? In the midst of all of this and these seals, it can feel pretty harsh. We can start to see an image of God that says, hmm, gosh, that just sounds, sounds tough. But I want you to understand who God is and part of his character. And that brings us to our next point this morning. Our God is just and must punish sin. And rightly restoring his earthly kingdom will cost the world something. So our God is just and he must punish sin. He's going to punish sin. Sin, everything that we've ever thought, said, or did that doesn't fall in alignment with what God says is sin. And he must punish sin. And it will happen. And at some undetermined time in the future, the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth. And few will stand. And it won't matter how much money you have or authority you have. None of that matters. What matters is your relationship with God in that moment. You know, God did promise at the time of the flood that he would never destroy the earth again by water. That promise, though, doesn't transfer to him never hitting the reboot button again. That's not what he, what he was saying when he said, I'll never destroy the earth by a flood again. What he's saying is that the global way that he did that before is not going to happen again. But I promise you there will be a time in the future when many people will suffer. And those who are not in the body of Christ will not know what to do. You know, sin and suffering go hand in hand. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I was thinking about this this week. Sin and suffering go hand in hand. The entering of sin into the world, you know, Adam and Eve disobeying God, the sin entered the world and suffering along with it. Because the next moment what we see is, is the curse that God brings to go along with the sin. But... All sin causes suffering. Whether it's just to the person who is doing the sin, or to all of the people around them, or to God and breaks his heart, which I want to say in most cases, it's all of the above every time. But God is just, and he must punish sin. But I'm going to tell you, we don't want to live in a world where, where God is not just. We don't want to live in that world. We don't want to live in a country that's not just. Because a country that's not just will not defend the people who did the right stuff, will not punish the people who do the wrong stuff, and then bring order to the chaos. We want to live in a country that is just because we want to feel safe. Because we want to know that somebody is there 
judging right from wrong, punishing the evildoers, punishing crimes, and keeping us safe. This is no different than our God. But I want you to understand that the, this story doesn't end there. Which brings us to our next point this morning. Ultimately, God's plan of redemption will put an eternal end to all war, pain, and suffering. Yes, it comes at a cost. Yes, it's a big cost. And it will be a lot of pain for a lot of people. But in order to bring about God's ultimate plan of redemption, all of that will end. There will be an eternal end to war and suffering and pain. Look with me at Revelation 7, 1 to 3. 7, 1 to 3. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or, any, any, or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. The seventh seal starts out a little different. Instead of seeing the wrath poured out, what we're seeing is an angel come along and say, wait, 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 stop. Don't do anything else until we have sealed with a holy seal, just like that king insignia onto the wax, till we seal those who, have fall, who are followers of Jesus Christ. Let's seal those people first before anything else happens. And then we see this, there's sort of a strangeness to the next passage, which I won't go through. It's, there's, a, there's a lot of numbers, and what it's saying is there's 12,000 from each tribe of, of Israel and goes through and saying, these, there's ultimately 144,000. Don't worry about the numbers. What we're seeing here is that God fulfilled his promise that he would preserve a remnant of people from Israel Jewish people who are decidedly followers of Jesus Christ, meaning that God has preserved an eternal Israelite community to go into heaven as well. Those folks <clears throat> are, are not specifically numbered, but that number is a remnant of people. And now we see something different. So look with me at 9 through 12. He says, after I looked, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no, no, that no one could number. So this is a vast number, far different than the number that was already counted. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, 
Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So the Apostle John, he's looking around and he sees this group that's set apart for the Israelites. And then he looks around and he sees a vast number that can't be counted of everyone else. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation represented before the throne of God. This group of people cannot happen without our fulfillment of the Great Commission. If we don't do what God is saying to do, we will never see this happen. This has to happen before the throne of God. In light of that, I want to share with you a video this morning as a practical application. We have a partner in Uganda, and, and we've had a, a few of our own go there, Glenn, and um, we've seen some really amazing things happening in Uganda, and especially in Kakira, which is where there's a children's center there, and um, there's a sponsorship, and I want to encourage everyone to watch this video and think about a sponsorship. So why share this video with you right now? Why, it seems a little out of place. It seems a little odd. I'm going to tell you why. Because at some point very, very soon in the future, in an undetermined time of future, we will see all nations, all tribes, all tongues bowing before the throne of God. And you all, everyone in this room, has a choice to respond or not. Brings us to our next point this morning. Do not lose sight of God's eternal plan of salvation to reach all nations, tribes, and tongues. You know, more than ever before, missionaries are going into unreached parts of the world. More than ever before, places that were formerly unreachable are being reached. Have you ever heard of something called the Muslim Spring? This is something that um, was brought to my attention five, six years ago. The Muslim Spring is a very strange phenomenon. What's happening is, in Muslim parts of the world, there are people that are going in as missionaries, and as these missionaries arrive on site to plant churches, someone will emerge and say to them, I know what you're talking about because Jesus Christ came to me in a dream last night and I accepted him as my savior. This is a true phenomenon that's happening in the Muslim world today. It is happening because if we aren't able to go to them, God will still bring them to himself. It's the kind of God we serve. But that doesn't negate the fact that all of us are called to serve. You know, when we left, I mean, some of you may or may not know that we actually, my, me and my family, we were missionaries in China for a time. And when we left, one of the biggest criticisms that we got, strange as it was, was a single question. How can you go somewhere else when there are so many people who need to be reached here? I didn't say this out loud to them, but my first thought was, are you? What are you doing about that? 
Because a lot of times people will have criticisms, but not actually have solutions. So that was my first thought. My second thought is this. I'll grant you that not everybody in this room is called to physically pick up and move to a foreign country, get visas, learn a new language, share the gospel. Maybe you're not. But let me ask you this. How are you when God brings the nations to you? I mean, step back and think about this for a second. What happens to most of us in America when foreigners move in next door? People who don't look or talk like us. Or when we go to Costco and we see somebody in a hijab. Or we see somebody with a, a different kind of strange, foreign, weird outfit. M honestly, most of us, our first thought is not, great, this is an opportunity to share the gospel. Most of us are like, gosh, foreigners are taking over America. And how are we when we hear foreign languages spoken around us? When people who have a different primary language are speaking that language near you in the U.S., are you one of those people who say, why don't they learn to speak American? America is not a language, I realize that. Or are you a person who hears those foreign languages and says, you know what? I hear my neighbor speaking a foreign language. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to learn that language. I'm going to spend a little bit of time learning just some basic phrases, some greetings, some, some different ideas, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start to try this with my neighbor just so I can tear down barriers to sharing the gospel, invite them over for dinner, and tell them about Jesus and what he did in your life. But you might say, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You can tell them your story. You can tell them your testimony. You don't need the gift of evangelism to do that. Ask them. Talk to them. Use this opportunity when you hear different languages and you see people from other countries, you should be excited. You should be excited because God brought the nations to you. All excuses are going out the window as he brings the nations to us. Whatever excuses we thought in our brain, because you know what? Each and every one of us here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a member or citizen of just this country. You are a stranger, an alien, a foreigner in this world. You're a foreigner too. So how do we treat other foreigners? Do we treat them with contempt? Or do we get excited about the opportunity to share the gospel? As you think about that, I want you to also think about the fact that God doesn't just bring us opportunities here like foreigners coming to our country, but there are many opportunities. Kikira, you can sponsor a kid. You can go on a 
LifePoint short-term missions trip. You know, my son and I went on a, on a trip this year, and we saw 50 people accept Jesus Christ. Lynn went on a trip, just came back from a trip. There are m- multiple missions trips going on all year long. And you might be, you might be saying, wait a minute, you were a long-term missionary and, and you're supporting short-term missions? And to that I say, absolutely. Why? It's not a shortcut. It's not a way out. It's not an easy out. Because you know what? There's no short-term trip that is easy. They will all require something of you. But there is something special. You could sit here from a distance and say, I know there are needs overseas. But when you meet the needs face to face, when you see them with your eyes, when you see what you have and what they don't have, something changes in your heart, something for the better. Maybe God is stirring something in you. Maybe that something is to take a risk and go on a trip and see the needs of this world. But folks, I want you to understand there are no excuses. God is removing all excuses as he sends the nations to us. And then what happens if you do your job and you share the gospel with foreigners in our nation, they go back to their country and they share the gospel. How awesome is that? You didn't even have to move. You didn't have to even sell everything you own to do that. But maybe God's calling you to do that too. Either way, I want you to understand that there are no excuses, but there is a hope. There is a hope, and that hope has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. Continue on with, this, with me in this last passage as, that we go over this morning. Verses 13 to 17. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, I I can't say that I fully understand the sufferings of anyone in this room. I can't say that I fully understand the sufferings that are happening worldwide. In fact, When something comes on the news and it is great suffering, it challenges and hurts my heart, but I don't know what to do with it. I give it to God. But I'm telling you, the suffering in this world has an expiration date. There is a time coming where no one will be thirsty or hungry or at war. No one will be abused or oppressed. No one will be murdered. Theft will be no more. 
there is a solution for it all. And at some point in the future, maybe sooner rather than later, Jesus Christ will return and everything changes. He will take us with him. There will be decisioning points where people will have to follow Jesus Christ who are left here on earth. I'll tell you, I can't tell you the number of days or how often I think about this, but I often think about what it would like to be, be in heaven, what it would be like to be at the throne of God in the midst of his peace and his glory. All the aches and the pains and the physical ailments gone. New body, totally different. Is that something you're looking forward to? Maybe today is a decision point for you. Maybe right now is a decisioning point for you. Maybe you're here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You haven't recognized the power of God and his salvation on the cross for your sins. For everything you've ever thought, said, or did that didn't fall into alignment with God, God is a just God and must punish sin. But by the grace of God, the way that he fulfilled that is by sending his son to die on the cross for those sins. So that you and I can have a restored relationship, an eternal relationship with him. Maybe today's that day. Don't put it off any longer. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know how long your life is. You don't know when your last breath is. I'd encourage you not to put that off. Maybe today you need to make a decision to, be, to publicly declare your faith through baptism. We have a baptism coming up in a couple weeks. We already have eight people signed up for it. It's awesome. Maybe you can be part of that too. Or today might be that day where God is stirring in your heart to change the way you look at the nations, even the nations in your own neighborhood. Maybe he's calling you to reach out to those neighbors, make an effort to learn their language, invite them for dinner. I don't know what your next step is, but I want to encourage you to take it. So I'm going to pray for us, and after that, we're going to sing a song. And During that time, if you want to make that step to place your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to go back to the next steps areas, those folks in the back wearing the gray shirts. They are ready for you. They are willing to pray with you. They're willing to walk you through whatever those next steps are. Or if you're just having a hard time and you want somebody to pray over you, I want you to take advantage of that. We've built this team for you. We've built this team to be a blessing to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Your word challenges us in a very strong, deep, cutting way. We see things that you're doing, and we know that it, it's going to hurt even more. But God, you are in it, 
And your plan for redemption is eternal, and it can start now. I pray for those folks out here in this audience today who haven't placed their faith in you, God. I pray that they would take that step today, that you'd give them the boldness and the courage and the strength to make that step. I pray, God, that for other folks, whatever that next step is, I pray that you'd be with them, give them the strength to take it. You'd walk beside them, help them know they're not alone. Dear God, I pray that you would help us today and throughout this week to refocus the way that we look at the nations, that we look at the nations the way that you look at them, as an opportunity to have more folks around that heavenly throng, around your throne. God, we give it all to you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.